In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to warn you that for the next three to four Sundays, we're going to be hearing passages about judgment. And I hope that means that you won't scamper off and not come back, since it's not a favorite subject of anyone, but hopefully you will actually come and hear more about the concept and the reality of God's judgment to understand it better. And I hope that I have some things to say today about it that will be helpful. I bet everybody in this room almost to a person remembers the 1970 movie, Love Story. Does everybody remember that? And I bet almost everyone can repeat the line from Love Story that says, love Yes, love means never having to say you're sorry. They've done a good job of putting that into your mind. Well, just two years after that movie, uh, the, uh, the actor Ryan O'Neill actually mocks this line in a movie called What's Up Doc with Barbara Streisand. And Barbara Streisand, with her eyes flashing, says, Love means never having to say you're sorry. And Ryan O'Neill's character with a deadpan face says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, the truth is people can say and believe whatever they want. They can say and believe really dumb things. They can actually believe things passionately, but it may not have anything to do with reality. It may not have anything to do with God's truth, God's reality, God's word as it is revealed. And so people can believe whatever they want, but there may not be a correspondence to what is actually true. And that is certainly the case for our third servant in our gospel parable today. He said some of the dumbest things a servant would ever want to come up to say to a master right? Who would say to a master, well, I really think you're a bad guy, and so that's why I didn't do what you told me to do. When the master would have the power over his life, how ridiculous that was. It was one of the dumbest things probably said in scripture for someone to say. And in fact, if the third servant really believed what he said, that the master was a harsh person, and that he actually uh, reaped where he didn't sow and he gathered where he didn't scatter. If he really believed that the master was a bad guy, he should even be more motivated to make money for him so he can give the money back to the master with some profit so he wouldn't be in trouble. But this third servant, the master, of course, which always stands in this parable for Christ himself uh, probably, or God, says you are a wicked and a lazy slave because you're saying dumb things and you're doing dumb things and you're going to pay the consequences. Well, so what are some other things that you hear today that are just some of the dumbest things you could ever imagine? Well, one is you hear people say, 
in Christian circles that, well, God loves me, and therefore, I know God wants me to do whatever I want. Now, that is simply not true. It's not corresponding to God, to reality, to God's word. There are people that talk a lot about grace as if grace means that we really don't have to engage in the Christian life. Like we really don't have to do what the master says we are to do. It is an excuse for just being lazy or not moving forward in our Christian life. But rather, grace is for us the ability to engage in things, to actually fail, but get back on track. And grace is, in fact, the energy of God, the Spirit of God moving in and through us in order to do God's will and to live in God's way. So today's parable reminds us that we are, in fact, accountable for what we are called to do and that there will be, in fact, a judgment. Well, let's look at judgment, but before we look at any sort of judgment, we need to begin with God. We say over and over again that God is good. God is good. God is absolute love. And God creates a world and image bearers like you and me with the idea that he is going to share his love with his creation and with especially those who can respond in their, by their free will in order to love us. God seeks to love us. Now that's a mystery that we will never, never penetrate because why would God want to love us? I mean, let's just be serious. But the God who creates the universe wants to come and be with us in a relationship deeper than any other relationship that we've ever had and wants to share his own love with us And the whole idea of our creation is that we could be able to respond in freedom to that love and to that God. And so, therefore, we belong to God. God creates, we are the creatures. God has life, we have the gift of life, but we don't own our own life. And that's why God has every right at some point to come and take an accounting to have a reckoning, to have a revelation of who we are, who we have become, and what we have done with that gift of life. People often forget that these days. They think, I've got my world and my reality, and if I let God into my reality, well, then that means I'm kind of a good person, but it's all about them. But their reality doesn't exist. We live in God's world. This is God's project. God exists and then we get the gift of life. And we have to put all of that in order to understand how this works. Well, we're created by God for the love of God to come to know God and to return that love and to share that love with one another. That's what all of this is about. 
Sin, of course, is resisting that love and movement of God that is coming towards us. And God is relentless in loving us. But sometimes we do resist. And when we resist, there is a shadow side of God's love called wrath in the New Testament that we receive. It's built into the universe. And it's very much like a mother who will, in the power of her anger, move against anything that would threaten her child. That's the way we need to understand the wrath of God. It is the movement of the anger of love, God's love for us, that would come against anything that would threaten or harm his children. Well, we know the story. God, in order to deal with sin, in order to forgive and to cleanse, to heal, to bring us into uh, his kingdom, to become his children, all of these things that are said about how we enter this relationship with God, uh, that's where we are now. But there is a judgment that is coming. Now, before we get into judgment, let's talk about who we are as children of God, uh, beloved, because Paul reminds us that we are children of the day, we are children of light, and that we are not actually destined for wrath, but we're destined to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, is what he says in the letter to the Thessalonians. Um, And so we can take comfort in the fact that we are beloved children and that we are not destined for condemnation. In fact, Paul would say, in Romans 8, that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so we are secure, but we still will face a judgment. And so it is not a judgment unto condemnation for those who are in Christ, but it is a judgment nonetheless, because in Romans 2, Paul very clearly sets out that there is a judgment of the whole world. And this judgment is a revelation, a reckoning, an accounting, an opening up of reality, my reality and your reality, which God intimately knows, and it is laid bare, and we all will have to face that judgment. And it is a dreadful thing. But the judgment is meant to help us continue in the path that we are called to. It is a constant reminder that we, in fact, will have an accounting, a reckoning, and that's what this parable is about. The parable is about, are my servants being faithful in my absence? And when I return, there will be an accounting. There will be a reckoning. And those who are faithful are rewarded. Those who are unfaithful face the consequences of saying and doing those really dumb things. Now, I want to say this about judgment because it is very important. And if you walk out from here with only one thing, this is what I want you to remember. Judgment is a movement of God's love. Judgment is a movement of God's love. It is not the end. It is not the end, but it is the necessary step that God has to take in order to bring his kingdom to this world 
and to initiate in the fullest sense the new creation. And so judgment is a necessary step of God's movement of love of recreating this creation to be the new creation where there is no death, where there is no sin, where there are no tears, no more pain or sorrow. The old things have passed away because the world has gone through judgment and now the very life and love of God will reign fully for everyone who can handle it, everyone who wants it. Everyone who is prepared to breathe the air of the kingdom and the new creation will be a part of that. And so judgment is in fact a necessary step of, love, of God's love in saving this entire world. Well, another thing I want to say is that we heard some language in uh, Zephaniah and some really stirring, uh, striking language. And we have to remember that the prophets, especially the prophets of the Old Testament, they are poets. They are poets who use language to get our attention, to wake us up, to stir us, to get us on track, to bring us back into line. And so just remember that also. Judgment is a movement of God's love, a necessary step of recreating the kingdom and the new creation. And that prophets, when they speak in the way that they do, it's for our good and benefit to wake us up with language, poetic language, that doesn't exactly describe what's happening, but it is language to get our attention. And so this parable is calling us to faithfulness. It's asking us to wake up, to get back on track, because there is a reckoning and accounting that is in the future. We're called to faithfully respond day by day to the love of God. And I want to quote someone that uh, talks about faithfulness and obedience. And I like uh, these words. They're from Victor Golins. He says, I dislike talk about obeying God as if he were some Stalin or Hitler. I cannot think that he wants me to obey him. What he wants, I think, is that I should learn to cooperate quietly and in complete freedom with his blessed and blessing will. That will of his which I discover deep in my own heart as my will also, as the best essential me, and which discovering it also deep in the heart of everything else, I find to be not only vaster, but also saner and more fruitful of life and peace and joy. What he's getting at is that God in his love constantly comes to us asking us to return that love to cooperate with his will. And as we do that, we begin to know in our hearts that actually doing God's will, that being faithful is in fact the most sane, joyful, life-giving thing that we can possibly do. Because life and joy and peace and love are in God himself. And therefore, if we want that, then we have to be in union and communion and in a relationship of love and of giving 
with the God who possesses those things by nature. So it is in our best interest for sure to cooperate and remain faithful to God. There is a judgment coming. We should consider that. But we also know that we are in Christ. We are in the spirit and that we will find no condemnation, but we will have to face the revelation of the reality of our minds, our hearts, our wills, and our lives before this loving God. And so may this parable wake us up, bring us back on track, that we would be faithful to him until he comes or until we meet him in our death. Amen.